All right, everybody, welcome back to the Get It Done podcast. My name is Joe Zanke, your host, co-founder and COO of On Demand Storage, who uh, produces and sponsors the podcast. Um, today, I have my guest, Tom Honig of GTI Predictive Technologies joining me. Tom, how are you? Good. Good afternoon. No, good afternoon to you as well. Um, you know, I'm excited to have you on. You know, we talked a little bit off air about, um, you know, your company, GTI, you know, its story and how you got started and now you're doing different, you know, some different things today um, than you were originally doing. So why don't you just tell you, tell us, you know, give us the gamut on, on GTI and what you guys got going on. Sure. Um, back in 1997, we started what's called the spindle repair company and precision spindles. A lot of people don't know are in all sorts of manufacturing fields, um, grinding, milling, any, anywhere, any car automotive parts, aerospace parts are made uh, are using precision spindles. Um, to, to make those components. And we started a repair company. It was a small company, about 30 to 40 people back in 97. And the story of the company that split off called GTI Predictive Technology is more of an interesting story of how that got started. And it was bore out from a necessity of being the mother of invention sort of story. So in spindle repair, um, we had three facilities around the United States. There's one in New Hampshire, one in Bloomington, Illinois, and one in Detroit. And each facility needed these very expensive vibration analyzers to know whether the spindle is balanced properly, whether the bearings are good. And they're also used uh, to do spot checks on all this equipment in production in these manufacturing facilities to know when things are gonna fail. So the machines don't fail uh, sporadically and all of a sudden a whole machine line is down or a production line or assembly line is down. So they're about $50,000 a piece and we needed like five or six of them because we had older technology. We were in business for 10 years. Yep. And we said, you know, geez, boy, we really don't use this for the predictive part that all the other companies do. It's usually, it's more of a quality control tool to make sure the spindles are good sending them out of GTI. Um, so we said, well, why don't we write our own software? And, you know, just get these sensors talking to a computer uh, rather than, you know, buying these expensive $50,000 pieces of hardware, which for a 30 to 40 employee company, it was about a half a million dollar acquisition that was going to stagger us a bit sure. if we didn't do it. So we set off with this project and by just using Radio Shack and working with these sensors, we actually got the program to work on an iPhone. And this was just prior to the iPad being released. We never knew anything about the iPad. And we really thought it was cool to be able to move the cursors with your finger, email data to the customer that you could never do out of these expensive analyzers. And we were really Apple fans at the time as well. And we said, you know, but at that time in 2007, eight, or, or actually 2009, uh, when we were working on the project, we didn't think anybody would take a phone seriously as coming into their plant with an analyzer that's tied to a phone. But so we dropped that and we were going to go back and write the software on a computer like we set out to. And that night, Steve Jobs held up this iPad and we said, oh, wow, you know, that's a horse of a different color. Oh, yeah. So we, we went on track. We got these sensors talking to an iPad and we built 10 of them instead of six because they were very inexpensive. We had control of the software. Uh, we built the reports the way we wanted. It worked perfectly. And while we were out taking data at our customers, people would see us using these things and they would ask where we got them. And we explained we built them for ourselves. And they said, well, I want one and I want one and just sort of rolled into becoming a business. Oh, wow. 
So every two years, we have the International Machine Tool Show in Chicago at the McCormick Center that GTI has always participated in. And we said, let's bring a banner and see what happens. And, and we brought it to the show. And it was a super hit. I think we sold like 60 or 70 of them right out of the booth. Oh, my God. And uh, so, you know, here we were uh, with an analyzer that was really made for quality control for GTI that everybody now wanted us to write the software to be able to do spot checks and routes out in the field. So uh, we got engaged with the developer and, you know, one thing led to another and we added like six more tools to to the iPad platform for reliability. Uh, thermography, which is, you know, uh, for electrical failures, we added balancing so you could actually balance components in the field, uh, ultrasound for air leaks throughout the plant, all kinds of different tool sets on the iPad platform. And it just really rolled into a, a successful business now that almost 11 years later, um, you know, we've got about eight or 10 people in that division. Uh, it's doing very well. And we um, kind of doubled down and started developing these permanent mount sensors that you can leave on the equipment. And it just talks to the web and lets it know it's health every day so that people are even more insured that they won't have failures before they have. So it's some really neat technology. Um, it's been super exciting. And, and I know that's a long version of how we got started. It's, but it's, it's amazing. Sort of a very interesting story. Oh, it's a, it is a very interesting story. And I do, you know, love the opportunistic um, approach that you guys took to not, you know, again, it came from necessity to have to go, you know, basically that investment was just, you know, you didn't view it as, as, as a necessary thing. So to, to actually have, you know, the, um, the wherewithal and the, you know, the kind of the courage to go out and write your own is great. Um, and then, you know, realizing just in doing your day-to-day -day job that there's a business in that itself. And, um, and then taking the leap, I mean, you guys must've been, you know, pretty shocked and, and surprised, surprised, but, you know, delightfully surprised when you went to that trade show and started you know, selling these things off. The I mean, that, that alone will tell you enough. That's all you need to know is that, Hey, this, there's some serious need for this. Yeah. And it blew us away. No doubt. So if you could go back to when you first started GTI, even prior to the, um, predictive technology side of things, you know, how did you get into just servicing, you know, when it, when it came to the spindle type of, of business, how did you originally get into that? Uh, my partner and I worked for another company that was in the same business, um, had a bit of a falling out and decided we were pretty much the people running the business. And we really didn't want to just go work for somebody else. And we just had that entrepreneurial feeling that we could get the job done, uh, maybe even do it a little bit better. And uh, it just kind of drew us in. And we ended up uh, finding a good investor who became a mentor. Uh, he's been since bought out of the company about five, six years ago, maybe even longer now. But um, And we just wanted to be on our own. You know, we, we did it before working for somebody else. And we said, you know, we, we need to bring this technology and, and do it ourselves. Yeah, I've heard a lot of entrepreneurial stories starting that way where... Um you know, for one reason or another, you know, there's just opportunity recognized in, in your previous career where you're at and, and, um, and, you know, a partnership forms and, and two people go out and, and try to take what they know about the business and just refine it and make it a little bit better. And I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Everyone, you know, especially nowadays thinks when you're starting a business, it has to be some brand new, you know, 
big crazy idea that could take over the world. And and honestly, it's just doing what other people a lot of the time it, just do what other people are currently doing. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just do it better. Uh, do it. Make some little iterations in it or niche it down. You know, make it really niche. And yep. um, and you can find a ton of success. You know, doing that. Yeah. When you have confidence uh, in what you do and what you know, uh, you don't always have to come up with a brand new idea to start a business. There's no doubt. You can take your life experience and your um, your your tool set of what you learn in other professions and you know bring it and do it a little bit better than the, than the last guy. For sure, for sure. So you guys, you know, started out doing that. Um, and then, you know, at one point or another, like you mentioned, you know, the GTI predictive technology thing came to light. Um, what are some of the, you know, obviously from the story, it sounds like, um, you know, it kind of just happened organically, which is great, but what are some of the challenges maybe that you faced, um, in getting that product off the ground? Well, like all good ideas, when people see your good ideas, there's a lot of people that want to copy you and, and, and try to compete with you. So, you know, something as new as the iPad was in 2010, people, as you know, were just starting to write apps. And uh, much to my surprise, I don't think anybody really jumped on our bandwagon uh, to start copying what we were doing until about probably year five or six, um, which was benefit that we had such a, a good jump start and had many apps uh, around vibration analysis, balancing and that technology to stay ahead. Um, but I would say that's probably the largest challenge is you get, you know, finding good people, making sure they stay with you, don't split off and try to do their own thing and, and copy you. Um, but also, you know, as people see your technology, uh, you know, they want, they want to try to copy what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually one of the first times I've heard, you know, that being a major challenge in doing these podcasts. And, and obviously it's something that people think about when they're first getting started all the time is, um, and especially with, so have you guys gone through like, um, all the patenting and stuff like that that would allow you to or is it is it still like is it copywritten is it patented or anything like that or is it like the the software is copyrighted but um more so uh we we thought of that very thing gee should we patent this so one of the big guys doesn't just come in and and do it better than us and i visited that and it just from what i learned and i don't know whether this is a good tip for people out there but at the size we are you know a two to three million dollar division um, the cost of patenting that I actually visited with a patent lawyer who actually recommended I not patent it because he said, you know, when you publish what you're doing and how you're doing it, um, it gives people even more ideas on how to do it a little bit differently and you mm -hmm. and actually get to the copy faster than if you don't patent and you keep things, you know, buttoned down of how you've got uh, a sensor to actually talk to the iPad and, and not release because when you put a patent up, you're actually publishing how you did what you did. Right. Okay. So in some cases, it's better to just fly under the radar and keep things, you know, close to the vest. No, that so. makes perfect sense. I mean, I, um, especially you mentioned with the size too, like, right. The, the, the world in which you can sell these products too, and this particular product too, is, is so large that, you know, even just to grab a, a pretty small, percentage of, of, of that potential opportunity is, is inevitably going to be a, a pretty good chunk of change for a company. Yeah. So it's like, you know, will we, do we want to take time and, and go through this patenting process and spend the money for it only to have, you know, again, publish the information, have someone kind of just tweak it a little bit. Um, or do we just want to keep, you know, continually using the relationships we've already, you know, made in our, in the history of our company, expand on those a little bit deeper 
expand on the, you know, expand a little bit further out and, um, and just grab, you know, a, a, a small piece of such a large pie that is, you know, the, the manufacturing and, and world, you know, that, that's out there that would potentially buy this particular product. I mean, that makes right. perfect sense. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's better to take that enormous amount of money to, to get a patent done and put it towards the technology and just stay ahead. You stay ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, you know, that's, again, just going back to what we were talking about, you don't have to completely reinvent the wheel. Well, you guys kind of did in this scenario, but just staying ahead and doing it better than, you know, anybody else can. It, it's tough. I mean, it's funny too, because sometimes, you know, I, I see people on LinkedIn, you know, people who I follow and, um, and they have a ton of followers, right. And, and, and these guys are, you know, top class kind of at what they do, no matter what it is. And they'll share all their secrets. You know I mean? They'll, they'll put it right out there. They'll say, Hey, you know, email marketing, like this is how I write my copywriting. This is, this is the tools I use to do it because they know that, you know, one, they've made the investments and they built out the processes to continually stay ahead. And yeah. two, like I kind of mentioned, the the market's so big that, you know, even if someone were to try to copy it or to, to do, actually read their message, which 1% of people might try, read the message and then actually take it and go apply it themselves. Um, you know, as long as the person who put that stuff out there is staying ahead and building out their own business, it's not going to matter at the end of the day, you know, if, if someone else grabs a couple clients doing the similar process. Exactly. It's, it's just this whole expansion of the web and our iPad uh, analyzer actually talks to the web and we use it in that similar way and all that networking is kind of what makes business so much different today than it was when we started in 97 and we were pulling over to pay phones and using bag phones yep. uh, to communicate. And, you know, that's exactly what the iPad did with this product is, you know, you get this $50,000 analyzer you're replacing. Well, the $50,000 analyzer isn't connected to the web. It doesn't have a camera. It doesn't have all the attributes of the iPad with, you know, geotagging and knowing where you're located when you're taking data and all these things that you could leverage off of that platform. And yet you can buy it for $500 and control the software. Their $50,000 analyzer, if they've got to move a button or change a feature, they got to go back to the drawing board of, you know, building this electronic box all the way back to engineering. All we do is type in a little more code, move a button over here or a feature here, yep. and, and we're so far ahead. And I think that's what really boosted us leaps and bounds is this technology you're talking about. No matter what facet of business you're in, you know, if you're in the high tech end of things, you can do a lot. It just gives you so many more options out there. Definitely. So how have you guys brought this product to market? Like, I mean, who... Um... Who's the end user? Who's the one that's um, that this benefits the most? Who's the one that's actually purchasing this particular technology? Well, funny enough, many of my competitors in the spindle repair world use our stuff, but of course, that's a very niche market. Yep. But electric motor repair, um, uh, any manufacturing facility that is managing a predictive program to know when their equipment's going to fail, um, from you know electric motors, pumps, fans. Uh, water municipalities. We even sold them to ski resorts uh, so that you're not hanging from a, uh, a chairlift in freezing cold because the motor at the top you know, failed without you knowing it's going to fail. <laughs> yeah. With the equipment, it tells you, hey, uh, you've got another month of bearing life in this motor. You, you need to do something. So uh, pretty much, you know, food, beverage, any manufacturing plant is our customer. So it's pretty broad. Yep. Um, you know, however, we've stayed in that machine tool sector for a good part of the time because that's where we were born from. So, 
um, but it, but it's really uh, limitless. So we're really excited about our future. Yeah, I mean that's fantastic. You have a very bright uh, future ahead of you, I think. Um, so you're in the technology space. You know, what are your thoughts on maybe the future of business? You see, sometimes I'll, I'll go online, I'll see robots, you know, dancing around and, and doing they, these companies coming out with you know really really serious technology that is um, you know at some point in time going to be disruptive in some way. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, what the future might look like within the uh, manufacturing type world? Yeah, I think it's a challenge, not only from robotics coming into play, uh, which can help us because we're analyzing things, but um, more so, uh, you know, with this COVID virus, I mean, we're all doing things different. We're, we're having this meeting virtually where maybe normally you being in Boston, you'd be in New Hampshire, we'd get together and do this live. Um, so I think those are our biggest challenges going forward is um, part of our growth uh, with this product was trade shows. I mean, a real big part of it, the internet and trade shows. Now the internet's still there. We, we have that. I do a lot of videos uh, explaining the product in our website, but um, our shows have literally been cut off, you know, right at the knees, you know, yep. so now they're starting these virtual shows, uh, which we're going to do our first litmus test coming up in a month or so. Uh, to try our first virtual show and see how that goes. But I'd say that's the biggest challenge going forward with, um, you know, this technology. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, and yeah, the trade show thing was completely disrupting. You know, I've talked to a few people on here and and luckily, you know, most of the people I've talked to have been able to pivot, you know, and that's one thing that, you know, this COVID challenge has also brought is that, you know, people have um, really had to get creative, really had to pivot. Um but the cool thing about it is that, you know, if you have pivoted similar to like you guys, you know, pivot and open up a new arm with predictive technologies. Um, it, it, like I said, it forced some people to do it, but hopefully when things potentially start to go back to normal, no matter what business you're in, you can go back to doing what you were doing prior to COVID, but also have a new um, arm of your business that, you know, was born out of necessity. Like we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, virtual meetings is something I very rarely did before COVID. <laughs> never, so, never, you know. I guess now, guess what? Now I've learned it, right? Now I know where the controls are. I know how to share my screen. I know how to, you know, be in a meeting with eight or nine people and do a presentation, which I didn't know before. Yep. Um, and my Literally the only are, reason I do this podcast, honestly, yeah. because I, I honestly wouldn't have probably the time to go off and meet you in New Hampshire and do it um, in person continually you know what i mean if like if i had to do that for every episode I, i've done like 60 episodes in probably three or four months which is crazy i, I kind of open book myself a little bit but at the end of the day i'm able to do three or four or five a day sometimes because of this and yeah. so it is kind of cool when you think about it you know it's it, there's some challenges to it um that you know might present themselves in the future but now that this is an option, I mean, it, it really is it's pretty fantastic in a lot of ways. Too. And it's a big cost saver, too. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, we spent tons and tons of money, you know, traveling. You can think of a spindle repair and we're hitting manufacturing shops. You know, uh, there's a lot of distance between smokestacks, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you're going to Detroit or, you know, Illinois out in the, you know, the Caterpillar and John Deere's of the world and that type of stuff was a regular thing that we did, you know, now that we can do it virtually, um, there's, there's a little more of a science of getting those people into those meetings, but no more of a science than it was getting a meeting one-to-one -one with those same people. So it's just finding out, you know, what is the art of doing that, right? Yep. Um, once we all learn it, 
um, you contacted me. We're, we're, you know, we have an appointment. And we're doing this. I mean, it's all about that networking. That uh, it's going to be interesting going forward, but it's definitely going to be a virtual world. I don't think we're going to lose this, even if everything gets back to normal. I oh, really, no, no, no. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, it just makes you so much more efficient in a lot of ways, uh, financially, and just saving you time in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, people are so used to it now. You know, we've We've been we've been um, accustomed to it. I don't think people want to go back. You know, I think they do in a lot of ways. I feel like um, trade shows and stuff like that will return one day. Yeah, and people are probably itching to go because um, those are fun. You know, I mean, it's different. It's fun. It's you can make real sales right there in person. But um, well, and you can go out to eat and do all the fun part about it that you you know you can't do in a virtual. No, exactly. World. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, um, so my last question I normally like to ask my guests is, um, you know, I've been trying to do a lot of reading lately and, and um, my goal, one of my goals for the end of this year is to build out a nice library. Have you uh, read any books, you know, recently, or maybe even throughout your career that you can, uh, point Not back? recently, but there's one book that I've always, uh, reflected back to, uh, I read early on when I was starting the company and needed guidance and some mentoring and, uh, Jack Welch wrote a book called winning. I don't know if you've ever read it. Winning. No, I haven't. It's, it's really good. Uh, it's done very well. It's got good business practices for somebody that's just getting uh, into uh, having employees, especially, you know, he's very good at, you know, that ABC player um, and, and how to get your C's and, and turn them into B's and A's and, you know, uh, constantly cycle that, that you've got an A player team all the time with your, with your company. And I think it was a, a really good book to recommend. And uh pretty interesting read as well yeah no for sure especially when it comes to managing people he's he's known as the guru of that um, no doubt so i'd love to uh take that you know and add it to the collection um well look tom this has been awesome i mean i appreciate it. i love learning about your company um i think you know what you guys are doing over there is really exciting and uh you know it's it's so cool to hear that you know you're doing one thing for for a little while and then you know something was just born out of it that um is is now you know, a, a big part of your business and, and, and looking like, you know, it's, it's going to be um, a truly successful thing. There's, there's such a need for it. So that's awesome. Yep. Problems turn into opportunities all the time. So, Hey, I thank you too. Uh, best of luck with your podcast. Hopefully this was interesting for people to listen to and uh, yeah. you know, for sure. Well, this has been awesome. Let's stay in touch and um, we'll talk again soon. All right. Take care, Joe. Bye-bye.